What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My first guest is The Lasso, a producer and multi-instrumentalist whose latest album, 2121, is out now via Mellow Music Group. Lasso and I spoke about the importance of film scores, the similarities between beatmakers and directors, and why The Dark Knight might be just a bit overrated. Come fuck with us. What's up, everybody? What's cracking, y'all? This is a uh, welcome to the very, very, very first episode of Real Notes. Um, I'm Dylan, Cinema Sci, Dylan Green, whatever you want to call me. I've got a lot of names, I guess. And um, uh, the, f- the first guest I have with me today is uh, somebody that I've admired for the last couple of years, um, producer and multi-instrumentalist, uh, The Lasso. Um, man, welcome to the welcome to the shit. Thank you. Like. <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me out. Thanks for having me as the inaugural guest. Man, this is this is so crazy to me. Like, I'm just like in a chair, in like a fuzzy chair with like a mic stacked on top of books. Like, this is where we're at right now. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm out here in Michigan. I'm at my studio right now. And uh, I'm actually surrounded by some crazy uh, film posters, which we'll talk about as the conversation gets going. Oh wow! Okay, that's fire. So, um, I guess let's yeah let's let let's let's take it to the base then. So, when was the first time you remember going to the movies? The first thing I remember right when you asked that question is, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Like I don't even know where that you know I would have been living in Michigan with my parents, and I have a really that movie already has this sort of like little to big ratio thing going on, and being like a kid in a theater. And then also adding that, um, that concept on top of it of like, um, I remember just being really excited to be in the dark and the sounds were big and you kind of like get to disappear. And even as a kid, that's really fun to just kind of like, you're, you're conscious that you're in the dark and it's exciting. And I really do remember that, that experience really well. Wow. Do you, do you remember how you felt about the movie at all? Or was like the experience most of what was going on? um well i think you're gonna find as we talk about movies and stuff with me like i am really focused on that experience aspect and i i don't know if i liked the movie or not but this yeah just the the feeling of like oh man my parents took me here it was like a normal day and now i'm totally absorbed in this other universe and uh yeah that's something like that as we talk like that feeling and that sentiment inspires me a lot with music and stuff too just like where can you transport people um and just by at quick access to the art right yeah because like at the end of the day really like all art is all art should be some kind of transportive like even if it's even if it's just like altering a perspective on a thing that you look like like even if you don't necessarily like go on a trip anywhere but like just having your just having your mental changed about something is like a trip in and of itself and like, yeah and i feel like the movie theater is the most like the place where most like people it's like i mean it's covid now but it was like standard practice that like everybody goes to the movie theater and absorbs art you know like it's rare a lot of people go to an art museum it's rare a lot of people put on music and actively listen but like everybody 
was willing to go like sit in the dark and kind of absorb these huge art projects with movies. And that's something I've always thought was just super cool. Like you have some really regular people experiencing some really far out shit at a movie theater. And it's like behind a target or something, you know, that always was interesting <laughs> to me. Like, like, oh man, I'm in this mo- mall and all of a sudden I'm watching some real intense shit about life or death and <laughs> tragedy. And I think that's something that's, that's pretty cool. No, I fuck with that too, because like, because like the movie theater that's like 10 minutes away from my house that I've been going to since I was a kid is literally in this, like, I don't know if I'd call it a mall, but it's like, it's like this complex where there's like the movie theaters over here. There's a Barnes and Noble, like off in the corner, there is a target like way over on the other side of the complex and like a stop and shop. And uh, there used to be a blockbuster there. I think it's like a liquor store now, but like, so like, it's crazy to think about that. Cause like, cause like I'm the type of person who will just like go to a $6 Tuesday and just like yeah. up and see anything, you know, like, especially, especially pre COVID. And then especially, especially post COVID, like I'm going back to $6 Tuesday as soon as I get a fucking chance. Like it's not even. Oh, I, I know. I, I miss that so much. Um, just that normalized opportunity to like disappear and get taken somewhere and care about big ideas or, or small ideas or laughter, whatever the, the genre may be right so um so instead of asking you what your favorite movie is because you just said that um what's the first movie that made you think about that type of stuff like what was the first movie that like i guess for lack of a better phrase like expanded your mind about that stuff yeah um this is just a generic answer but i'm just gonna be honest which is like star wars probably where it like um like the the music was so big and there are so many settings and i mean i would have been probably watching that just on a vhs with my parents at home but i remember just thinking it felt really like uh real and the fact people made it maybe the costumes and stuff that really just you hit you as a kid like you know it's not aliens but you're willing to suspend that like disbelief and when you realize that people made that, it's just something you kind of want to be a part of and you really admire um, the whole craft of it. You know, I, I've always been a fan of like film scores and the I've been like a nerd about the whole thing as much as I've been, you know, I don't like, I like action movies. I like anything because I'm really just into the whole process that goes into making something like that. Right. But Star um, Wars would be the first one where I'm just like, this seems amazing. Like a group of regular people like are able to just get together and through makeup and sound and lights and all this kind of like give us this super, super emotive experience. Do you remember, uh, do you remember which Star Wars it was? Was it the first one or was it? The- yeah, it probably would have been the first one, but you know, like I was a little kid. So I just remember Ewoks. So it must have been Return of the Jedi. Yeah, like, about to say. <laughs> I remember like wanting to live on Endor, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, man, if I could be part of the Ewok crew, I'd be happy. Little treehouse room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little treehouse room. And then you could like find the place where they like make the make the Ewok puppets in the back. Just like, oh, yeah, these are you weren't supposed to see this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I love it. But yeah, like if you want, but yeah, like if you want to talk about, like if you want to talk about, um, 
like immersive film scores like it really doesn't get any like john williams was really just like the blueprint with that stuff like his music in star wars was kind of like i feel like you could trace so much of film score history back to him like what's it been like almost 50 years since the first star wars came out like I know that's crazy to think, and just all the movies he's done since then. Yeah, he's almost so ubiquitous and incredible. Like, why nobody ever really why talk about him? But it is kind of interesting. I was thinking about him recently because I realized he scored Home Alone. You know, this last Christmas I was watching <laughs> Home Alone, and you're just that's a great score. Yeah, he really did kind of remake that blueprint. I'd say prior to that, it would be like Bernard Herrmann to me, who did all the like Hitchcock stuff. Like mm-hmm. that was kind of this real like you know at least cooler film score i mean there's a lot of sappy shit from like early hollywood days but like from bernard herman to me it goes kind of ennio morricone with the western stuff um and but then yeah you kind of jump to john williams is like he takes that old hollywood big grandiose orchestral thing but yeah it just kind of does it in a way that as corny as some of it is, it's really just incredible and powerful music. Yeah, really. Like, it's just so, like, it's really amazing to see how people, um, um, to see how film score composers can, like, can just, like, capture, they can just capture emotion in sound. Like, like, like one of the, like, you mentioned, um, you mentioned the guy who does the Hitchcock scores. The one that always comes to mind for me is Psycho. And, yeah. like, that bit, and, and like, that bit in Psycho, um, I forget when in the movie it happens, but the little do 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 like the shit that um Buster oh, Rhymes for give me some more like just seeing yeah. like see like seeing someone seeing someone like Buster Rhymes kind of grab that and or or, or I can't remember who produced the song oh, it's gonna kill me but like whoever produced give me some more like like heard what they did with that song and we're like. I want somebody to rap over this. Like just, just, yeah, that's a whole topic unto itself in your podcast really is just like beats that sample film scores. Cause you think about people who are literally employed to kind of like, um, really, really zero on a super specific feeling and emotion would be like film scores. And I often think the same thing about beat makers, like really good beat makers to me because the loop can be so short. It's not like, you're telling a whole story, like a piece of symphonic music, a beat maker kind of tells you like tons of info about one really specific thing. And I think film scores kind of do that too. It's like this scene was about this really distinct, you know, interpersonal interaction. So yeah, there's a lot to be sampled there and flipped and yeah, God, right. Give me some more. It's just, I mean, like that song so sinister and just its whole like feeling and, you often would accredit that to his flow, but I mean that samples right there was setting the mood too. Yeah, it's just, it's just like the, vi- the like like the violins feel like like it doesn't feel like somebody's playing it with the bow. It feels it feels like somebody's like grinding the violin strings against like the corner of like a desk, just like argh, argh, like it's just so intense. Oh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and and I think that speaks to like film scoring is a place where unlike pop music like you're encouraged to do like there's great anything can happen with sound 
it's not like we need this to fit in the context of a good hook or something like you can bang on a wall. People are using the most far out modular synthesizers. Like sound design is the cutting edge of, of sound manipulation. And so like you're like, oftentimes I think in film scores, you do have people using traditional instruments and applying like unique techniques, like hitting them with weird shit, you know? And and I think beat making is another place that that happens too, where like anything goes, you know, like nobody's doesn't matter if flying Lotus is, you know, hitting a quarter on a table, you know, for the hi-hat, like that's any, any sound is possible. And I think a lot of that happens in film scoring too. You know, you have your stereotypical 1950s fully guy, like, popping a balloon and (laughs) (laughs) dropping a watermelon from like like, (laughs) but it's like if it's if it fits the you know the emotion like or fits the purpose of the sound the movie hey it's good yeah if it was like like the like the first time i well no 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 no, not the first time um somebody shared a video on twitter it must have been like a year and a half ago of like a sound editor like making all the sounds for a movie like like there was like a scene where he had to like recreate a bone breaking and he just like, he had like a big thing of bok choy and just like twisted it real fast. Just like, like Oh, nice. Just I'm to like, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just like seeing stuff like, cause you hear stories about it, but it's always so different when you actually watch someone do it and then just think about, or, or like even, or even, um, this is kind of different, but like, if you see like an actor recording audio, over like a fight scene like in a studio as opposed to doing it in the thing like they shared um, um, um hugh jackman shared a video of him like recording oh, all like cool. the grunts and shit for wolverine and logan oh. <laughs> and like it's just like it's just intense it's just intense it's just really intense yeah that's really cool yeah speaking of which i, I was just talking about logan I, that that's a great movie logan is a great know. movie like, yeah, that's like someone was like, "What's the best Marvel movie the other day?" I was like, "Does Logan count?" Because that's probably better than. <laughs> it's not quite. It's kind of a Marvel movie. It is like it, it's yeah, it's it definitely is. It's like you don't even need you don't even need to figure out where where it fits into the MCU because it doesn't. But like it's just a it's just a good movie and like and like Wolverine and the X Men are like so ingrained in the way like Americans watch movies. They're like. Yeah. And it's also, it's also like the most classically, like, cause like when I saw it, I loved it, but I was worried that a whole bunch of people were going to be like, I mean, like, I'm not trying to put this on you, but like, I know a lot of people were like, yeah, I like this movie because it's like the least superhero-y and like, they don't really have powers like that. And like, it's uh, it feels like a real movie. And I'm like, come on, bro. Like, like, I, I just think back to like, I didn't even, come at it from the angle of what doesn't feel like cgi fatigue and i just have so many memories of going to the theater and seeing an avengers movie and you're like leave and you're just kind of tired and shit Mm -hmm. like like you're saying like i do logan did have the pace of a film instead of like maybe less of the video game uh feeling that i think the mcu especially turned into the final years of it it just got so sky battled out um sometimes yeah yeah and i think like and it's also really interesting considering that like think about where the x-men started the movies at least like they started out in that same plane but in like 2000 early 2000s mode with everyone decked out in the black rubber and on like the terrible fake looking plane and then like 
And then just to flip those characters, like not just the characters, but the actors who played them and to like show them in this like almost by comparison, like minimalist um, look. It's just so, it was really cool to see them flip it in that regard and just to like, and, and to kind yeah. of like tear it down. And like, it's basically a Western. Like the movie is basically- Yeah, you're right. And like, um, cause like, cause like there's plenty of action, but it's just all of it is like so grisly and pared down and like not flashy, I guess, for lack of a better word. And like, I really yeah, did appreciate that. Yeah, it kind of has the samurai movie thing too, I think a little bit in that sense too. It's like the young- person and the older mentor and it's kind of conceptual as opposed to maybe visual but i don't know there's some crazy fight scenes and that shit through though yeah the first the, um um on um, the first scene with um the first scene with x23 i don't remember her character's name that's gonna kill me too but like the the first fight scene with her and logan like in the desert and she just like stabbed oh. dude in the oof. just like the choreography alone is just uh, like ugh. yeah yeah that's it that's that's a that's a cool movie. It just kind of re-hit my radar recently. I was like, I really did like that one. Yeah, I gotta watch that again. It's been a minute. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like I caught a piece of it like maybe eight months ago. It was the scene where, uh, it was the scene where he was, uh, where uh, Professor X was fucking with everyone's head, and he had to use his claws to get through the uh, to, uh, oh, to get yeah. the hallway and like killed Ooh, everything. Yeah. Just really, really heavy stuff. Yeah. Like, so, um. So to kind of so, so so to kind of bring it back to music and like the idea of like sound manipulation and film scoring for you personally, um, when did you first start making music? Like when when did you yeah yeah when did you first start making music? Yeah, I uh, um like as a kid, um, I you know I was just lucky to grow up in a time and in a place where privileged to have music in schools in a way that was like um gave me like a start you know it wasn't like um I didn't continue I I did maybe six five or six years of school band but uh it wasn't where my passion was with music but it kind of just gave you access to some fundamental stuff to kind of like get it moving so even in that sense, like the first shit they had you play was like Jurassic Park and stuff. I feel like the, the era I was growing up, it's like, let's get the kids on board, man. Teach them Jurassic Park. It's about the easiest melody on earth and you could hum it over any, it's almost like modal in this way. It could be like placed over anything, <laughs> the Jurassic right. Park theme, and it works. Uh, uh, it could be contextualized in a certain way. So yeah, I, I, I just started in that kind of orchestral setting. So I think, you know, they, they, they hook kids with like film music certainly in like school band programs. Definitely. Um, what was the first instrument you played? Uh, clarinet. Mm, like my mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of mom. My, my, my mom played clarinet too. I, st- I still play the clarinet regularly. I'm hoping to get better. It's something I'm plan- trying to get better at. Mm-hmm like again um so so like when you were in band was that the only instrument you were playing or was it like was it like a mix of stuff well yeah claire clarinet's where i started and then i switched over to bass clarinet which is was i don't know allowed you to kind of like 
I think they gave it to someone who is good at the clarinet, but you're not like the best because they need that person on the clarinet. But it was like, right. okay, this dude's passionate about it. Let's kind of let him go off into this weird world. So, but I learned how to play tuba, trombone, clarinet, and bass clarinet, and saxophone by the time I was out of high school, just by being a band nerd kind of. I never did mar- the marching band thing, but I did jazz band and like orchestra. Nice. That, that's that's uh that's really beautiful. Like there's something like there's something about music in school that's like so special and just like being able to it's kind of like you were saying before, like being able to have access to instruments and shit like so young and just like have it have it be there. It's like something that we can almost take for granted. And just like so many like professional musicians started playing in school. Like if they didn't have instruments yeah, at home, it was in school, school or church. Yeah, or church. church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and I'd say you know, I mean, I guess it depends what where where and who you are as far as church. But in many ways, like there's certain you know churches that are probably given the best, most relevant musical education. I mean, that's the problem with school band is like you can turn it into something, which I did because I had a lot of passion for it but there's probably other people who maybe they could have been great at it but it's such a sterile environment um you know what i'm saying where some churches you can go to and they're playing something that's pretty close to like whether you agree with the content or anything it's like the music's probably more relevant because they're trying to get people to come back every week they don't want to hear terrible music every week you know it's like you have to be there so you get these kind of dinosaurs leading the way in terms of what you're going to learn about yeah and and like you can really tell you can really tell when someone isn't passionate like i was really lucky coming up in high school because i had an because i had an incredibly passionate um uh, music teacher i was um i was in choir um my choir teacher mr ennis was probably like one of the most passionate people i've ever met in my life that's he awesome really, he was just like super dedicated and like he ran like four different choirs and like he always had students in his office to like record music like like i can't tell you how many people i grew up with who started making music it was because of him like dude it's band band teachers are like High school teachers, I'll just say with a passion in general, are some of the should be some of the most celebrated people because you I I know what you're saying. I hear about a lot of there's like sort of these band teachers who leave legacies. I think theater programs had that have that sometimes too, oh, where there would be like a theater teacher who really over a decade like impacts like hundreds of kids in terms of like their first time expressing themselves um in a way that's like, you know, with with the arts or something. Totally. Yeah. And then like that also goes double for church to bring it back. Like, like church is a, um, it's just such a communal space and music is like, we treat it like it's intimate because it it can be, but like at the end of the day, music is something incredibly communal. And like, if you can't really connect with it on that level, then like you said, you're going to be bored to tears, just like sitting in the pews. Cause like, that's because like that's Uh how I was when I used to go to church. Like, like I like I went to a um I went to a church for a very brief time when I was a kid that was like it had beautiful music and that's really the one thing I remember about sitting in the pews was hearing the music hearing people sing and just like there's just something magnetizing about gospel that's just like like you said with the content like you don't have to agree with the content to just like appreciate how fucking gorgeous gospel music is like it's just pulled in so many people 
And it's like really so foundational to so many people's musical, um, just like education and just like general taste. Like that's some of the first music that people hear when they come up. Yeah. And I, I, the distinction's got to be made. That's a reality too. That's way cooler for black Americans. Cause like there's like some of the worst music on earth is coming from like Midwestern white churches. <laughs> Let me confirm that, you know, not lying, and, and this, this, they, with the school thing too, this kind of brings me back. It's like to John Williams where it's like, God bless John Williams. Cause he gave like classical, like this concept of an orchestra, some like relevant music to play. Cause the biggest problem with height, you know, band programs from whether they're for kids to orchestras as adults is they're playing this just totally dated music i mean the most kids the first exposure or maybe the only opportunity they ever have to play an instrument is they're like here play ode to joy or something it's right. just like totally irrelevant hundred year old thing and that that's just not the way it has to be you can you can there's so many there's melodies everywhere that can encourage people to be interested in these things so the john williams certainly i think has given that like orchestra's life in the last 30 to 40 years because that music's fun to play yeah. i'd rather play that than beethoven i mean right who the hell what what sixth grader wants to play beethoven and that's what most i don't know why that's still the standard but it really is but film music does get this place i think in the educate instrument education that's cool right like especially something like star wars because like because like whether it's the theme song or the death march or like what yeah. like like i guarantee you that if you were to ask somebody if you if, like if you were to ask somebody a very specific question of either like hum me some beethoven or hum me the darth vader death march like they're gonna do the darth vader death march immediately it's just it just sticks in your brain like yeah, yeah. and i think you know, we can go, we got to get back to movies, but I mean, like, as far as just keeping that alive in schools too, it's like pick any genre. There's probably a three note hook that could really make that music relevant to kids and not, I don't know. I just, I, I look at the violin sometimes and I'm like, man, you can do anything with the violin, but we ask people to do the weirdest shit, the most specific shit with it. Right. <laughs> like, like here, play one of three melodies that for some reason we've decided to need to live on man just teach them the imperial death march first and exactly <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's start changing our culture there yeah exactly like, at least start there like, <laughs> um so so as you get older and you start taking music more seriously as a career like when like was there ever a period of time um when you started to consciously i mean like, you kind of already like answered this I like in a way but was there ever a period of time before now that you like consciously linked the way um film like the way yeah. film and music work together in your head yeah I'm gonna real specifically I think the movies that like hit me with that um are the director of like Paul Thomas Anderson's movies um Specifically, I'll just say like Punch Drunk Love. Like, I don't necessarily love that movie, but like the way music is used in it was really impactful to me when I saw it. You know, it's just, just some like Adam Sandler art movie or whatever. But um, if you were to go back and watch that, the percussion in that movie is insane. Um, it's just this incredible score. And then it kind of mixes in this weird sort of like 
big Hollywood harp kind of music too. But um, I think I must've seen that when I was in early high school. So I was already really, really into music and a music nerd kind of person. So when you hear really crazy, sophisticated music like that, and it was all made by one person, John Bryan. So I always like stuff that it's like, Oh, cool. This is this huge piece of music, but just like one guy made it at his little studio. Um, so that kind of like opened my world and he, he's a record producer too. And he, right. he worked on Kanye records. Like, uh, I mean, John Bryan's work, you know, his, he did those Mac Miller. He did that one, all the stuff with Mac Miller towards yeah, the end of he, his life and he, he, the posthumous did, one. Yeah. He did circles. Uh, like, yeah, I was, yeah. cause I, cause I had no idea. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Hmm. But like, that was, um, I had no idea that John Bryan did the score for Punch Drawn Glove. That's yeah. And wow. he did the score for uh, Magnolia and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, that one I knew. Yeah, yeah. So he had that in which, you know, that has a whole backdoor with the J Electronica stuff to just like hip hop. Because that, so, so that was the first time, and I still have this ambition. I've, and we, I've, I've done some film scoring, but I've, that was when I got obsessed with film scoring. It kind of gave me this career path that I'm still unfolding and, which is like you can produce records and you can make like art music, you can make film music. And John Bryan was like sort of an early influence to me of like, I saw someone who just producing didn't just mean songs. It meant like everything. Right. And so that was really like inspirational to me. And, and he was, I was struck by the music in that movie, looked up his name and started connecting the dots. And, and then he, that was pre him producing Kanye. So it was super exciting when I was like, Oh shit. Now this like <laughs> film score, like multi-instrumentalist guy, like is getting to like play with like, you know, Kanye. So that probably had a big impact on me, you know, just being like, Oh, all these things can exist in one person. Right. I can, I can imagine because because I know that, like, I think I first became really conscious of that when I saw, when I saw, like, Pharrell doing his thing with, like, the Despicable Me movies and, like, yeah. and even, and even, like, the run that Trent Reznor has been on for the last, like, decade of scoring movies. Uh-huh. Like, just, like, like, I liked Nine Inch Nails growing up, but, like, I didn't start paying attention to Trent Reznor until I was, like, oh, like, this social network score is crazy. Like, oh, um, he did he, he did another movie score like really recently. Oh he just did he it? just did soul that I know that it was soul, that was it. It was yeah. soul. Yeah. yeah. Like because like because like I had mixed feelings about the movie as a whole, but the score, him and John Batiste, like get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some ways, I feel the same way. Like the best parts of Nine Inch Dale's sounds are now just distilled into his scores. Like it's almost like if you muted the drums and the vocals. And you kept the like synths and stuff and some of the percussion textures like Trent Reznor has always been a phenomenal producer, but I just can't the songwriting and the general taste of nine inch nails. Just, it's not for me, but like the scores do give me a way to kind of hear what he does as a producer and a fresher light. Right. It's just a way, it's just a way to like, it's just a way to create this experience. Like, because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. It's about like giving people an experience. And I feel like that's what separates that's what separates somebody who just like wants to make a cool song or who just like, who just like wants to make fire beats from somebody who's like trying to create an experience. And it seems, and, and it seems like that's something that that's really important to you. 
and it comes through it comes through so vividly in your music like especially especially this 2121 album man like because you were talking to me, you were talking to me a little while back about how like about how like the experience of filmmaking was kind of like in the front of your mind while you were talking while you were crafting this album so kind of mm. talk to me about that a bit and like how how film kind of factored into the creation of 2121 yeah i think just the starting point for that would be just like sci-fi and both the the the, the concepts of sci-fi and some of the creation processes so like on the filmmaking side it would be just like the ensemble cast kind of thing like 2121 has a huge amount of people working on it and that's something that's more common i think in film than it is in music to be like okay i'm gonna create a, a thing where there's like a lot of people in it and there's voices that are more common and then there's side characters and stuff like I think you get that in some great rap albums with features and stuff. Like they kind of give you that sense of like, there's main characters and there's plot and setting and stuff. So right. for me, I, I thought a lot about like how do movies handle like a lot of personalities, um, both as creators and as characters, you know? Cause like I have these main sort of voices that ride the whole movie with me. And then you're kind of beating people along the way and people show back up or like disappear for part of the album. So that was just something I think I got a lot. I watched like movies to kind of get a, a balance for like making sure when I did bring in guests, like the content was written for them as performers. You know, I gave them roles that fit them. I didn't just ask them to totally come over to do this thing they're not accustomed to so you know i just think about um yeah any sort of ensemble in a movie and how those are balanced well like i know this isn't film but i think like atlanta or something there's a recent show where i was like oh there's this kind of like ensemble cast and there was so much like balance to those characters and like there's clearly main characters but they're not always the most important right and so like that was one thing I wanted to have in my album that just kind of relates to filmmaking in that sense of like how do you balance it a big ensemble. Right. Yeah. Like and, and, you know, like it doesn't even really have to be film because like whether you're talking about film or TV or or like whatever we want to call stuff on streaming, like that's all those are all filmmaking techniques. And like Atlanta yeah. is a really great example, especially because especially because like there's like there are so many characters on like it's not just an ensemble, it's like every episode will have at least one character that you never see again they just show up for that one and, and like and, and, and like oh, yeah. and like you expect to see them again like uh the zan dude like the um um the dude who's um who's like the who, who's like the ig famous fucking like text everybody in a 36 person ch- like like yeah. i thought i thought he was going to be like a recurring villain in the show when the show first came out and then you never see him again i'm like so what happened is, it, it, it's just like these people just like pop in and out of your life and then they're just here today gone tomorrow and like that and like that felt so i'm i hope i'm not getting too off topic but like that kind of felt that 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 made atlanta feel realer to me because like people can just kind of come into your life and like have this crazy impact and then just leave and be gone and like you could even Mm. like connect that to you could even connect that to working with some of the people on this album like having like il camille on no illusions or like having fat tony show up for a song 
but then having someone like uh, a um I'm like a Billy Free just like show up and and like be this constant presence throughout the album mm. like mm. I think that's dope. <laughs> I think that's tight. yeah. That was my you know idea going into this project. Like, and then I'm gonna get to the sci-fi movie content was just like it was important to me to have like okay you know it's like you're when you're in hip-hop as a producer eventually you want to do like a lot of features and stuff like that's such who doesn't want to like have people they're into work with them you know right of course yeah but but for me i'm just i'm operating in this way where i make music or so i've been told you know it's like I just don't have beats. Now. I mean, I have an uh, infinite amount of beats, but it's it's hard for me to just email someone something like lay lay sixteen down this and shoot it back to me. Like I get, I get stuff that's unreleasable because you're like the music feels like something, and even if they're great sixteen bars, it's just they need to go somewhere else with my songs. So that led me to be like, I gotta have stars of this album, and so like a Billy Free and Rachel Eve and. Uh, then the our the sax player the um sax squatch and the cellist uh jordan hamilton like they kind of became the stars so that i could write a piece of music that could have features that's how i kind of like started this whole project was i want to have a lot of features but in order to have features you got to have stars and i'm 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 the director i'm not the star right so like so like what so like what does that so like what does that mean to you to like be Cause I'm really happy you made that connection, <laughs> like yeah. the connection between between being a producer, a music producer, and like being a director. Because that's really yeah. what this feels like. Like this is your vision that people are helping you act out, or or, or yeah, yeah. Like it, it's a little more complicated than that, but like yeah. No, it's it's true. It's really true, and like and for better for worse once you start down these roads like a movie or an album like you're in it and you live in that world until you complete it if you're going to complete it and the world might not it's funny you like live in these things the the hugest thing to you because it's hard to make albums it's hard to make movies and then people might not like it even or or whatever and that's this funny thing but like while you're at it thankfully i don't I, i don't necessarily care if people like my music or not it's it's more about like i'm acknowledging the fact that it's like it's your existence when you're making it like i i had a concept and i had to go out into the world and find people and get them to commit to like working on this and putting in time and passion and energy and that's your whole world when you're doing one of these massive massive like projects and so um that connection to being a director i think is like you know, I'm ultimately not going to be the one. I'm not going to be the character that maybe you immediately connect to in the movie or in the album. Like you're probably more emotionally going to connect to the content of the lyrics and the voice of the singers. But like, you know, I feel for, you know, I think a lot of, I'm like, I'm a huge fan of like cinematography. And I think, cause you do a lot of that as an engineer and as an instrumentalist, you kind of like, pick what the 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 colors and the textures are um and then as a writer you know i write i write the music in terms of like i'm playing all the core instruments on the record the drums the 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 guitars the keys some of the basses and so you're like you're really setting the scene you're writing the 
where where does the movie happen where's the location you know what are the what's the coloring and the tone of the movie but then you're casting people to kind of like walk through that world and those are who i think the features and the singers are so lando's really who taught me how to do that like that's when music changed to being the most more director kind of thing because like lando wanted me to kind of paint these huge landscape paintings and then he got to go like walk through them as like a character that's how i look back at lando and my collaboration so he kind of distinguished that to me and i'm continuing to add and this is the first time i've done it like as an ensemble thing but that started with lando for me right uh i'm once again really happy you brought that up because i was yeah like that that's um but i want to come back to that later because that's like a there's like a whole section that I want to run through all your all your collaboration projects, like especially especially the stuff with Lance, like so. But um, because because I'm not a hundred percent sure, like because I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly how you produce a record because your songs always like everything sounds so unique. Like I know you play all the instruments, but like walk me through the process of like you actually making a song, like yeah. Like, like from conception to completion. Yeah. yeah, it's it's probably simpler than it seems. Like for me, the first step is like a pulse or like a BPM. Like I am always starting with like tempo because it's like, what mood am I am? Do I want to make something fast or slow? Which just is a simple way to start. And then it's like groove from there. So the next thing I'm going to do is play drums on it or program drums or chop something up whatever you need to do to make your drum was your pulse so i kind of take that a little way and then it's like it doesn't matter if you have a hundred a great drum beat that's 128 bpm or whatever 142 it's like say it's just like a footwork drum beat well now it could be the mood could be anything then based upon the tonal aspects so the actual like because if once you if you just have rhythm you know that could be a cool kind of music, but then, you know, the next thing that I'll do is just like, yeah, write a baseline or a keyboard part. And then that's all one process that like, I pretty much go from like nothing to like what you hear on a record other than the vocal and any extra instrumentation, like at most of a day, but like usually three to five hours or something, you know? Right. And then I just make tons of those. So I have this huge wealth of moods of music at any time of like, cause I'm doing that every day. So if it takes me four hours, maybe I'm going to get two in in a day, you know, two if beats or whatever you want to call them, you know, they're sketches essentially like they can be developed further or they can be left. Sometimes you get it all the way done at once, but usually it's kind of this like 75, 70% done thing. Mm-hmm. then at that point it's like if it's an instrumental track you know you find a way to finish it from there whether that's like you put a melody in with an instrument or you're making a weirder kind of music if it's a vocalist you know um since we're talking about 2121 i had this let's connect it back then because this is how i finish a track um okay cool i got 50 instrumentals they're all kind of like sci-fi-ish funk etc beats for just a simple way to put this project uh well then it's like what's the album gonna be about you know 
And for me, that's where sci-fi movies came in. Like just having that imprint in my head, whether the movie went to a good place or whether it's alien or it's um, star Wars, this concept of just like, you kind of have a group of people traveling to an unknown like destination or something. And how does like the collective energy of that, change the course you know in the destination and you could apply that metaphor to social things that are happening in the world you can make it totally psychedelic whatever you want but that's where the album started for me it was like hey i'm gonna make this big ensemble album i got all these instrumentals now i want this album to be about collective change in a sort of sci-fi psychedelic way so maybe i wrote a really simple like three line three sentence piece of text that kind of outlined something real spaced out like it probably wasn't even in sentence form right just some art writing and then i started to just go through the record and i would send the same thing to everyone any song i'd be like hit a fat tone and i'm like i'm making this record this is what it's about here's some like writing to kind of shape your mindset on it and then he might give me a verse back so now i got a beat that I like because I've already produced it. I already passed the test of like, it got sent out of my studio. Right. So the music's cool. Now I got like a crazy fat Tony verse. Now it's like, it needs a hook. Well, I got these songwriting partners that uh, and Rachel and Billy, I can send a track to. So now not only is my plot of the album, like collective change, but like I'm getting these end products where it's like, I, nobody really thought of the, the abyss i just like the song with fat tony like it's such a tightly written pop song in some ways it has a bridge it has a hook and like I, no one wrote that it was never like let's have a pop song structure over this beat it's just kind of like i brought i cast the right people and i had a topic that they could fit in and then you know the final step for me when this album was bringing in sax watch and jordan and, and orchestrating kind of like weaving in between the singers with those mm -hmm. instruments and see, I, like, I'm not going to lie, because when I first heard this project, I didn't think, like, I didn't initially think about sci-fi. Like, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not heavy handed in that. I think it's sci-fi in the sense of, like I said, I had that concept of like a group of people together going somewhere, you yeah. know? No, totally. And that's, and, and, and that's like, and that's, that's almost like the basis of what sci-fi is like, like science fiction is so crazy because it's such a broad like there's no there's no one way to define what sci-fi is right like it, right. Could, it could be alien it could be it could be something like ex machina the um mm -hmm. the yeah. movie. it could be something like uh it could be something like contagion like uh -huh. contagion like totally like all and then like and then you, and then like you would try to apply that to rap like you know you look at, like like for me like the the kind of like the kind of like Rosetta stones for that type of stuff for me have always been stuff like Deltron 3030 totally. and like um, just everything that like Missy Elliott did, you know, like, and just everything uh -huh. and like, there's so many different examples, but I think that really speaks to how, I, I think that speaks to where, cause like, even though 2121 isn't heavy handed with it, I think that speaks to where it sits within the sci-fi continuum because it just, like sci-fi can really just like, like, like as long as it has some sort of exploratory or like scientific bent, like 
it's just going to fit somewhere. Like that's one of the beautiful things about science fiction as a genre to me. Totally. It's not like very, it's not super futuristic or anything like in the way like a Shabazz palaces record can be really like futuristic moments in their like sci-fi stuff. Yeah. I don't, yeah i just i got i thought i literally do think about that a lot like that metaphor and like with all my projects like whether it's small bills or like this 2121 crew like making an album is like you fucking i always say this to my collaborators like after we make the first one we built the spaceship now that was fucking hard but now we built it like are we gonna go fly it around and do dope shit with it or are we gonna park it in the garage because like the hard part is building the spaceship, you know? And, and so this project, maybe it's more was like a building a spaceship together than it was flying anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just, that's just because we're new collaborators, you know, like, right. Lando and I got to build a ship and fly it around. I think more than I've, I've had the opportunity with anyone else in like rap. Right. And like, and like sometimes and, and like sometimes that destination can be the journey which is like uh-huh. yeah like which is beautiful in and of itself but since you uh um since you brought lando back up like because i because like that's where because that's where i first that's where i first got put on to who you were as a person and a musician so i guess like like to kind of to kind of thread in this to kind of thread in this idea of like the producer as a director like talk to me about your early work with Lando and like kind of expand on what you were saying before about how he yeah. made you think about this directorial aspect. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a director writer, Lando's the greatest, like as a young director writer, like now you have like a, someone who wants to be a star, like in a certain sense. And I'm not using that in a derogatory way. Like Lando was someone who's like, I'm ready to carry the weight of like, a narrative because i met him he's still working on for mark your son but i wasn't you know i wasn't involved in that record but it's like that was kind of where he was at and so i was here in that record years before it was out because it came out i don't know he got signed to mellow whatever it took it took a little while for that record to get out but you hear that record and you're like oh this guy's a star right it's like the first lando record and you're like oh he has a personality he's got a he can kind of do this like he came up with a character and he came up with an album with it and stuff. So mm-hmm. I didn't know people were going to get into Lando at the time that I met him, you know, like I assumed they would, cause I saw what a lot of people did. I was like, Oh shit. Like what a great guy to like start writing movies for. If we're just going to keep the metaphor. Cause I'm like, I could put this him in a lot of situations and he's going to like give you really unique. He, you know he's a great character in a lot of different situations and he wanted to go a lot of different places right and like and like and like i remember i remember when for mark your son came out too because like that was when i was like really i i had like just started my obsession with mellow and i was like really looking into everything and i heard from mark your son and i knew that anybody anybody who can put songs like floating to nowhere and coroner on the same album and not have it sound like why are these two songs on the same project like he tied everything together so beautifully and i was like yeah like you said this kid's a star 
Like, not even uh-huh. a kid. Like, we're the same age. Like, the, yeah, I'll be like, bro is a star. Like, I knew it for men. Like. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was such a human project, too, you know? Like, um, yeah, what a great debut, you know? And, like, I it's funny. Like I didn't really know, like he was going to get signed to mellow or that people would ever like, you go look at how many people have streamed for Mark, your son. And it has just like, I mean, that album must have over 10 million streams together just on Spotify. It's been streamed so much. And I would never have thought that when I first heard it, but I did think, yo, this dude's amazing. Like any, if you could tell me he'll have 10 million streams, I would, be, I, I bet I'd say, yeah, you're right. Like, you're right. Like, I just didn't know you because you just met him. I just met him at like t- 10 people were at the show. Is that when I met him? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you know, it's just local music shit, you know, but you're like, so I would say my first part of working with Lando too is like, I would say almost maybe he was the writer at first and he just hired me to like to be the, a director cinematographer kind of person. Like he first, so boy, you spoke to the wind that a lot of that record was going before um for mark your son was out so i think we got to know each other he saw what i was doing and he was like oh we wanted the same thing let's make hip-hop but let's have it be just a little more cinematic and boy spoke to the wind was the story he had and he was like why don't you you know engineer it and produce it and compose you know, all these holes that I don't have. Cause I think there's a couple tracks I didn't produce on that record or I co-produced them. So he had a little bit started. So he's kind of like, here's the plot of this thing. And so that was a really fun project for me because it's not music I would have written on my own necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of myself in there, but it really, I owe a lot of where I've gone with my sound to him starting there with me, with the boy who spoke to the wind. Mm-hmm. Like the King of Salem is one of my favorite songs. You guys, I, I didn't, I didn't produce that. Oh, you did it? Oh shit! No, that <laughs> tracks. No, that tracks nasty. That's the best track on that record. So that's like the thing where it's like, I had such an interesting role, but I engineered that, and I, I kind of, uh, like I said, I was hired to be this sort of cinematographer too, and I have no ego in that. Like I've never claimed I. Like I said, like the first thing I say about the boy who spoke to the wind is like I didn't really produce that whole record, and the stuff I did produce is a really funny take on my sound because I was really brought in of like, here's the King of Salem. There were no vocals and the beat was amazing, but it wasn't done by any means. Like um, with what Lando wanted to do with it, it was like we had to kind of like. Not, I didn't even play any instruments or anything, but, you know, I was good at turning ideas into songs. Right. Like, I was the first talent I told Lando the night I met him. It was like, I don't, I have no ego. I don't need to write the music or anything. I'm good at turning, I, I'm good at making songs. Like, you should utilize my talents. And, I'm, and I got really nice gear right now. Better gear than you're probably working on. Or at least gear that you can access creatively. Not just to cut vocals quick and leave. Cause that's the thing. Like the King of Salem is a complex track. Like there's a, that's a really multi-part vocal arrangement. Like the vocal doesn't just like start and loop to the end of the song. Here's the chorus. 
here's the hook, here's the course, here's the hook. It's like, it starts here and it goes a bunch of places and it ends over here and you never go back to anything. (laughs) So that was my job of like, he wanted to do that kind of stuff. And it was like, cool. Well, let me help you kind of just do a clean, like start your, let's, let's figure this out. Right. So speaking of ego, talk to me about how, talk to me about moving into black ego and like really working on like fully crafting a project with him, not just in the engineering sense. Yeah. Um, well, black ego is really interesting. Like, you know, I just had so much momentum as, uh, as an artist in my day-to-day life going into that era with Lando, like whether I was working with Lando or not, I'm just, I really, it's kind of when I realized I re hit 10,000 hours. Like I kind of in like 2015 was like, I'm going to kind of like step back from what I've been doing and rethink my musicianship. And I started fresh again. So by the time we got to black ego, I was just like flowing. And once again, like, it, that was less of a cinematic piece to me than more of a very musician based project of like Lando had evolved so much as a singer. Like you hear him sing on corner to what some of the stuff he's singing on black, how you go and he's clearly a more skilled singer. So on that project, he just wanted, he's like, we need to have more music references. I think was the name of that project. Like there's going to be funk elements and like, he just wanted to try more stuff musically, which fit where I was at that point where it's like, give me ideas. I have so much energy to produce. And that album was done really fast. I was, I was going to have to move back to Michigan because of some family shit. So it's like, we got three months, like what, what are we going to do? And that was really his, once again, like I produced and wrote all the music, but he kind of had the vision for what the, the whole feel would be. Right. I mean, like, it sounds to me like you should be giving yourself a little more credit because it sounds like y'all were co-directed. Like, that's what the... Yeah. But, like, Black Ego, for example, is, like, I'm just a white Midwestern dude. And that doesn't mean I can't be a sounding board for any conceptual thing when you're in the studio with people. Like, first of all, I'm never going to be like, write about your... Tell me about your pain or something. Like it's not like like that's why I distinguish that too. Is like Lando's talking a lot about uh, things that have to do with you know what he experienced as a black man and like I would never write that thing, you know. Uh, but I would be I'm a great person to bring in as like a cinematographer director in terms of just like give you a lot of tools and avenues to help you express that thing. No, and and and, that, and I'm and I'm able to do that because I've been inspired by directors because I think collaboration is what has brought me into hip hop. Like I'm a second hip hop is secondhand to me. Like I make no claims otherwise, but I've I have a place in this world because I'm an open minded collaborator, and you can pitch me a project and I and I can bring a lot of passion to it. Right, and yeah, I appreciate you making that distinction too just about just because because like black ego is a project that's so it's in the title like it's so it's it's so it's so centered around it's so centered around like what blackness means to him and how he how he reacts within all of that so um but just like just like in general like even forgetting that like it just seems like the two of you like I, I almost I almost attribute it to like somebody who makes a tv show 
like if it's like two people who created a TV show, right? And yeah, and like you have the you have you have like you have like the hands and the ability of two people, but your minds are in sync. Like your creative minds are like rolling on the same shit, and like that's something yeah. special. Yeah, that's the magic of the one producer, one vocalist kind of collaboration. And it's something you don't get to pick. Like, you can choose, like, I want to work with someone. But, like, it only works when it works. And it takes just so much time to get there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't just be like, I could want to produce for any one of my heroes or any someone so i could think i have a sound for someone but you have to build a sound with someone if it's really gonna and that doesn't mean it's gonna sell a lot of records that just mean might mean it's satisfying you know it's more satisfying than so that's how i feel with the lando thing it was such an opportunity to do what you said like come like write this show with me <laughs> you know come create this thing and right and do it for a while and yeah, it was awesome, man. Like Lando's one of my best Lance is one of my best friends still. And I taught him like there's more music to come with it. He, he and I am sure, but it was especially now with COVID where everything's so distant. Like that was such an era of music that had to do with we were just like sitting in my apartment all the time making all that shit. So Yeah, it's just yeah, it's like just just like that that intimate nature of all of it and like the music is so explosive, but it's like really intimate on top of all of that. Mm-hmm. And like, and so I want to, so like, I kind of want to work through, I want to work through all these people that you've done this exact thing with, because, you know, Lance isn't the only one. And also right. Yeah, right. like, and yeah, like shout out, to, and like shout out to Lando, man. Like Lando chose one of my favorites. He's been, he's been one of my favorites for a minute. Um, Yeah. He's just, he's just like, I remember when I met you guys at the was it was it the Black Ego show? Was it Black Ego or Maya Maya Mayu? I don't remember which one. Which um, one? Yeah, Black Ego. It's the night I met Elucid too. Okay. Wow. Right. You told me. You know, yeah. 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 It's a big wild. night. That's a big nice night in my life. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Black yeah. Ego release show. And... Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's run them down. Yeah. Because I mean, just going into that. I mean, I think that's the skill I learned with Lando and. And, and how the, the last few years of my career has played out has been this sort of director kind of concept. Right. So, um, so yeah. Um, talk to me, talk to me about working, talk to me about working with a uh, spiritual um, yeah. on like you guys' joint. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that starts with black ego too, because he's featured on black ego and, and that's just a, yeah, for an era I was living down in Tucson, my brother was living down there. So it's like my best friend. I was either hanging with Lando or I was hanging with my brother. Then my brother moved. And I was like, I need some new friends. And uh, I kind of started just hanging with the younger, like, rap dudes down in Tucson. Spiritual, DJQ, Ray. Um, and so Spiritual, first time I met him, someone's like, he might have been he was in high school when we started hanging out i think which is far out um or maybe he was just graduated but he might have been in high school uh and someone's like dude his album his first record has 110 songs on it i was like what and i was like 
it's like this sounds like the kind of dude i want to hang out with man i got too many songs too you know like i can relate to this guy like what's it uh yo we just like hit it off instantly you know all those dudes down there there was like you know i really changed my life getting to know the world through getting to see their perspective on the world and hip-hop and stuff so in the back of my head was like he's this young dude down in tucson like as soon as we can get some money together he's got to fly up to detroit and just like hang out with me just because we're friends and like that'd be cool like if rap i mean music is so special that way because it's like i was 30 something and he was 20 or whatever you know but it's like you feel like so close you know like skateboarding is another universe where i think you get these kind of like cross-generational friendships and it's just so i was like dude this kid needs this like this i would never call him a kid this dude needs to see detroit like it's like, we're, what else are we going to do? We're just fucking studio rats. Like, it's gray all day in Detroit. What are you going to see? It's how he's like, he gets to Detroit. You know, it's like, what the hell are you going to do in Detroit? You know, it's fun to drive around and smoke weed, listen to music and shit, but it's not like... So, of course, we're just, we just studio ratted it. Got into that. And, and, and it was another situation where... um, Yeah, just a great voice. He had this voice that the thing I saw in him. So as the director, part of that was, I was like, man, he's singing so hard when you see him live in Tucson, he's part of this youth movement. People are moshing to their rap. It's so fucking heavy. They got this whole young thing going on in Tucson. That was just like, fuck yeah, this is amazing. You know? But then like, then I would hear that some of his tracks where he's singing it, he was like singing like doo-wop rap and this like smoky breathy voice. And I was like, this is the place where I can help him as an artist is like help him develop this kind of other voice he has going. So when he got to Detroit, you know, and we started to fuck around with the instruments at the studio, kind of already had in my head of like, let's kind of let him do his like psychedelic, you know, rap thing. But like, it can be a little bit more like retro soft than I mean, he just grew up in a heavy situation in Tucson. So, like, his rap prior to that point, it's psychedelic, but there was a heaviness to it. And I was like, ah, you're on vacation in Detroit. Like, let's make this explore your artistry from a little bit different of an angle. Right. Also, I completely butchered his name, and I'm sorry. About- no, everybody says that. I think that's a good, fine way to pronounce I just thought you were pronouncing it because it helps people be like, it's psi spiritual, not just spiritual stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, <laughs> cause I've never, cause I've never said his name out loud before. Yeah. Nobody. nobody. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was just a great fucking project where it was like, you make it something to your friend and it ends up being more special than you thought it maybe was going to be. And it just had a whole look and feel to it to me. So I was, Hey, you know, it's a small project, but it's one of those ones that it's maybe small and what people would think of it in the big terms of rap. But to me, it was like, it really had a lot of like intention behind it. Yeah. Like what would you like? Cause yeah. Cause, yeah, cause you're talking about like intention and mood. Like if you, <laughs> this might seem like a silly question, but like, if you were to, if you were to kind of like give this a genre, like of like film, like what would you, what would you, what, what would you consider? Yeah. Me? Like <laughs> It's definitely just a little psychedelic art film. And that's what it's supposed to be, you know, but it has like, it's the kind of psychedelic film that has some like heart to it. It's not just like a fly, like 
on someone's lip or some shit. And it's just like, makes the viewer go crazy. It's like experimental, but it's like, you leave it being like, I feel pretty good. You know, it's a good trip. Right. It's not a trip that's going to change your life, but it's like, it's a good trip. That's how I feel. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so it's like, it's like a good art film, you know, like it doesn't hurt you. You know, I think there's experimental art that sometimes the intention is to punish in a, in a, in a totally artistically satisfactory way but in this situation it was like let's artist like stretch stretch the comfort level but it's going to be in an enjoyable enough way you know? right yeah this is like this is not like a gaspar noe type movie like no this, this is like irreversible or like into the void where you're like <laughs> right <laughs> where, where, where you're like beat where like your senses are being like com- like assaulted like as uh-huh. what's happening here it's like yeah <laughs> or what's the or like holy mountain i always think of the first you know that like we're just like I, I i just like i think about i need to sh- take two showers a day for like a few days just because like i feel like i'm covered in some sort of like horror yeah <laughs> that movie just makes you feel bad yeah kind of just, like i don't know why it's just gross yeah it's 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 gross and weird and like it's what it's I don't know it, like I saw Holy Mountain when I was in high school I only saw it once and I don't remember much about it I remember feeling really crazy <laughs> after after I watched it though like yeah yeah that's that, exactly like there's weird scenes referencing all sorts of terrible things and it kind of flashes by in this like psychedelic trance and it's like you know Curlian's I don't know I I kind of think of a psychedelic film that would be a little bit more charming, but um, my mind right at this moment um, <laughs> to compare it to some Spike Jones shit, you know, like for lack of a better phrase, like it can be mind warping, but like ultimately it has like some character and some like soul to it. Would not to say it's better or worse, just it has a character based psychedelic thing, right? Yeah, and that's and that's kind of it's it's almost it's almost like a. Uh, it's almost like a it's almost like a more friendly version of like fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Like that's kind of totally. There you go. There you go. You <laughs> landed it there. Yeah. Next album, man. You got it right there. It's yeah. kind of fear and loathing, like, but just yeah. Now the stakes aren't as high. For, yeah, not for real. The lizard people are cool. That we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lizard people in the fucking- they're at least they're willing to talk. Right. Okay. No, no, I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> um. So in that case, um, what about, so, so talk to me about your work with Chris Oric and like how, and like how you guys' project came together and kind of what, how you would situate that. Yeah, that's my only regret with that album is it should say just Chris Oric. Cause it's, I read that I was dead and here's a great example of like the story behind that album is amazing when the I is Chris, like, cause it's so such a weird story of like finding this person he got tagged in a tweet someone being like you know someone with your name died and it's this weird cryptozoologist guy like there's a cool short story they kind of like brought me in um yeah i had known chris for a little while and chris is just one of the nicest people super creative super um he really had such a specific sound you know and so I guess for me, like, that's like a sh- I'm trying to think what I would compare this to. There's, 
it's once again, I, it's more of a short film to me, you know, and I was a really much a director in this thing. Like I really loved the music I wrote and the final product of it was, was some was like, it's like a little film. There was like a little idea, you know, it wasn't like, I'm going to tell you my life story or something. It was like, here's this interesting kind of peculiar thing. Um, so I was kind of brought into like, score that one maybe more would be my role in this one of like the plot was so there and chris had the ideas for where he wanted to take the songs and i was like okay here's the world let me give you a bunch of music that could maybe fit these ideas and then so i was that was a cool project man i was that was really fun we made that all in person really um at my studio and it was that was a really cool experience i have nothing but great things to say about chris and yeah do you um do you have a favorite song off of that project yeah singapore michigan i was just listening to that one last time that's my favorite that track's nasty that's chris and i that's the one where i'm like i want to make more records with chris he and i he and i have talked about that um whether or just make more music because that was this portal that that was like when i think i'm like oh this is something really there's like a thread here that's really special Mm -hmm. with that song right and the story it had like a short story it's such a weird thing too another one where it was like this ghost town that was like burnt down and shit like the story of singapore michigan is really cool so it was a great thing of like, he had this story. I'm like, it's such a weird story. It was like, I wrote this smoky beat. Cause it was about this town being fucking burnt down or something. So it was a cool ask as a producer. Nah. Yeah. That was, that was, um, yeah. Singapore, Mich- Singapore, Michigan is definitely one of my favorites on there too. And then, uh, I think my other ones would have to be no places safe and Wendigo. I think, I think, I think those would be my three. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool wait is when to go the one with quelle on it uh no no that's a uh, specimen oh quelle on oh it. i know when to go cool well it's been a while since i thought about when to go yeah when to go is a cool cut it's got a really interesting pulse to it mm-hmm. really foreign to the rest of chris's discography i think that's probably the main thing about that i mean that's just because i i didn't i mean chris had this such like this drunk rap thing i mean, for lack of a better friend i don't think he would see me if he was sitting next to me i'd say that like there's so much stuff about like confronting his alcoholism with both comedy and realism prior to that and like i just saw more as a writer so it's cool that we got to do this project where it still was really introspective but it didn't have to be bear the weight of like um pain and trauma um he got to use some of those some of his te- tools but it it's less of a soul-bearing project than the rest of his catalog yeah like sure. he has one album that's one of the heaviest it, speaking of music uh he has one on that i compare to like requiem for a dream or something if you look at his discography something about drowning is that's that's like literally like watching a uh like watching fucking i'm trying to think of the movies that um there's some movie I'm thinking of that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in that just made you feel terrible, but it reminds me of one of those where it's a beautiful piece of art, but you're like, I just could never, it just, it's well done, but it just hurts. Can I guess? Was it happiness? Yeah. Happiness. (laughs) I knew it was happiness. 
Yeah, Todd's yeah, where where it's just so heavy. And I felt like that with that Chris Oric album where it's just like the pain and some of the topics of it, it's just like right there, not coded, not metaphor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Like, and like Todd Solins in particular is that kind of director too. So it's really interesting that, that, yeah, like I never, I never thought about, cause like instinctive drowning is like also just not a comedic album, like at all. Like it's, it's definitely the most like, like his heart is on the table. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that that's wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like, yeah, like so as as like the director or whatever brought in to do that one. Like I certainly just as I had a lot of compassion for where he was at life and where I was at that time, and like it was like like we can still deal with some dark shit, but like let's have some fun making this record too. We we had a lot of fun working together on that record. I could tell. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, like this, this is definitely a deceptively fun record. Like, it's just like, I, I don't, I, I can't put my finger on what exactly it is, but it's just like, it just feels, it, it feels, I don't like, I don't come out feeling like garbage after I hear it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's the, it's the least heavy record in his discography. Well, there's some that are more comedic, so those are a whole other genre, but I think, yeah, this one's like a cool little, like, it's kind of psychedelic for who he is. Oh, for sure. I always think it's the, I don't know if Chris has ever taken mushrooms, but like it's maybe his most like shroomed out project and, because he's still very much not shroomed out, but in terms of where he goes as an artist, it's a little more psychedelic. Facts, facts. <laughs> and now and now this brings me over to Small Bills with the Lucid, which like, yeah, yeah like, yeah, like if we want to talk about somebody who's like, like, ugh, the way the way I like to think of a Lucid is like, ugh, he like he like he rhymes like like he rhymes like an encyclopedia took mushrooms. That's like that. That's like that's the, a good way to put it. Like. He's, like an encyclopedia or like a, a like or some like really fucking dense like biblical scholarly journal because he's got all this like psychedelic christian shit sometimes or like psychedelic biblical shit going on yeah. or something yeah he, he's just he's that's just a like, great way to put it <laughs> thank you there's just like there's just so much going on with his raps like between like he, like, like there's a lot of religious references and just a lot of uh just just a lot of like worldly perspectives like from like different languages and different like cultures and 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 like and and like there's also just like such a there's also just such like i mean like his music is black as shit like he's he's just he's just someone who's so proud of he's someone who's so proud of our culture and like loves to make loves to make it as lo- loves to tie it as explicitly to rap as he possibly can. And like, I feel like you, I feel like he found a really, he found a really unique pocket over the stuff that you had going on with small bills. So like, walk me through like even how small bills came together as like an idea. Yeah. Cause like, this well, is you were, sorry, you were there, you were there the night. Yeah. You were, you were there the night it happened. And it's funny for, all the success that project's been having it's been an awesome project i think for both of us like we didn't really do that many interviews about it and it's like it's funny man like so we're at the show he opened for the lando 
Black Ego release show in Brooklyn. Right. Um, and before the show even started, you know, you always see the people who are going to play the show with you. And the other person on that, Miho Hattori was on that show too. That was a nasty set and I'm obsessed with her music, but uh, she was great. Um, uh, yeah, so Lucid just like, I, he was like kind of like looking at me in the green room, like before the show, before sound check or anything. And he just walked up to me and just, you know, it's the kind of thing, man. I'm going to be friends with that dude my whole life. And I'll never forget. He's like, what's up with the Farfisa? He asked me, which is a old fruit. Anyone who doesn't know, like a 60, an Italian organ company made in the 60s, really commonly associated with like new wave music, garage rock, psych rock. Um, if you heard a Farfisa right now, like almost anyone would recognize it. It's a really common organ, like an iconic organ sound. And I'd played a little bit on Black Ego. And, you know, being the nerd I am, I, you know, at the time I was at that point in my career, I'm like, I'm going to get the Farfisa credit if I played the Farfisa on the record. <laughs> so uh, the Farfisa credit was on there. And uh, yeah, so he he's like, what's up with that? And, you know, we just like ended up smoking out that night hanging out at the venue it was at elsewhere which is such a cool venue because they got that roof patio or whatever you know so he and i just like hit it off and i had been a at that point no storm grocers had come out maybe a few a month or two before so i was already in on that because i'm a i was a huge fan of everything uh rory milo uh whatever yeah. you want to go call him by um yeah rap for uh, right now um yeah, so I he starts just hit me up regularly after that. Sorry, my dog's messing around over here. No, you're uh, all good. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was just messaging me all the time. Where are the beats, man? Send me beats and stuff. I'm like, what do you want? Do you want? It's like, I want everything, man. And I really took that to heart because at that point in my career, I was already signed to Mellow. And it's like, what am I going to do with my record deal on Mellow? Like, I don't want to just make beat tapes, you know, like that's never what I got into this for. So I'm like, hey, if this guy wants me to send him all my beats, I'm just going to send him all my beats for a while. <laughs> so I just started to send make, send him beats all the time and shit, you know, we made then He's like, you know, like then we're like, all right why don't you come out to Detroit and let's work for a little while. So he had a, he had a tour. He happened to have a tour that started in Detroit, a solo tour. Uh, so he came out a few days early and we made a bunch of shit. And then we just started to do that throughout the year. I'd go out to New York and you just kind of chip away at a project and get to know each other as artists. So I'd send him like 50 beats. Then we'd link up and we'd make a few songs. I don't care if he's not using them. Like some, not, a lot of them aren't done, you know, like, you just send people ideas because I had no barometer. Like you hear what I, I mean, the first, I, to be honest, I haven't heard his whole discography even. Like, I don't really need, want to hear people's everything when I'm working with him. Like I saw him live. I heard Nostrum Grocers. I know what the dude could do. Like I'm more curious where he wants to go as an artist than where I want to take him. So he had a lot of ideas and we worked for like a year and a half constantly and met up sometimes and shit it, it was the most just the most growth I've ever had just via a project. Like I, I, I wonder if he would say a similar thing in terms of just like, we really pushed each other. Like that was a fun project to make in terms of just like 
let's make a lot of music and not settle for like, there's a lot more music that the two of us have and we'll make a lot more, I'm sure. But it's just like, it was cool, man. It was really an album. That's how I feel about it. I learned what it means to make an album in a whole other way. Right. And I can tell because like y'all, y'all gave yourselves a name. Cause like you had already done the album with Chris, you did the album, you did the album with spiritual and like, and like, and like those didn't have names. It was the lasso and so-and-so. And this one was small bills. So like, it must've been special for you to just like give it a group name. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's, I really, it means a lot to me. It gives me a lot of direction as a producer. Like you produce a long time to get to a project like small bills to get to a project, you know? And now that it's here, it's like, it's like I was saying earlier, it's like we built the spaceship. Now we got to go fucking fly it around and see where it takes us, you know, because it's a cool thing, you know, it's such a, yeah, I don't know, man. I love that project. That was that, like I said, I just, it's a career altering project for me in the sense of just someone with that much and this has nothing to do with anyone prior or that I'll work with in the future. Just he's such a fucking, a, you know, talented lyricist or dedicated to what he's doing with it. So he's a dense lyricist. I'll say that. And I think I'm a similarly dense musician in that, like, I'm not trying to cater to anything. I'm kind of just like off mining deeper into these things I've committed to. And I think elucid someone who we have a lot in common. So like we kind of found each other in some weird tunnel and we're like, let's work on this together for a while. So he <laughs> saw a lot. In, he saw a lot in me that I didn't know and vice versa. And so there's just a lot of shit on that record. that I'm like, this is awesome, man. Nobody, this is not where we started. We right. thought of this over time period. Uh, facts because yeah like for me like yeah like hearing hearing small bills for the first time it really like that felt like a watershed moment for you and for him because like because, because you know of course he already has um um, um he had already had uh, nordstrom grocers under his belt and of course arm and hammer like so mm -hmm. like he's so like this isn't even his first time like doing the group thing but like it really felt it felt um it really just felt like a watershed moment where like the two of you just it's like you said, it just felt like you were so, it felt like you were just so in sync. And it's just like one of those lightning, it's just one of those lightning in a bottle moments that like one of those things that like, you know, like to, like to kind of bring it back to film. Like it's just one of those movies that like, it doesn't like, you don't necessarily expect it to explode the way it does off of paper. But then when you actually sit there and watch it, it's like, wow, this just, it just works. It just like slides together, just uh huh. Yeah, it's so much less hip hop than it could have been in a certain way, but it's also like fucking a hip hop record to the fullest because oh, he's like, but musically, I think you know, like we all know who he is and his those albums because like they're just so strong and they're so stylized. I mean, that's what's so amazing about everything with backwoods it's so stylized and you're like oh elucid wants to work with me i better make some dark shit to dark <laughs> i better make some dark cryptic shit and he's like 
nah, nah, man. He's yeah. like, and that, that was an exciting thing to have someone want to do that with you, you know, because that's, that's what I'm waiting for all the time. I'm always here making music. I'm like, who wants to take what I have over here and mix it together, you know, and make something with it. And he had such a vision for it. It, like, it, like it's funny to me because like because yeah like safe house and et diamond are like two of like the kookiest things i've ever heard you make like safe safe house is like like, like i don't want to call it silly but it's just really like uh-huh. it, it, it's it's almost like you ever <laughs> you ever you ever you, you ever see the gift from the powerpuff girls of like the fucking devil looking dude in like the pimp outfit like sliding his way into the club like that's what i know you're makes me sound like i think of that every time i hear something ah that's a good match with that that's hilarious (laughs) yeah it has that like retro campiness to it but then like can't be that every yeah everything elucid does is so like it's like a renaissance painting in a certain way or some shit like like an oil painting like so to like pair that with like some fucking spy theme <laughs> baseline. Yeah, man. Yeah, I did E.T. Diamond, right? I don't even know. That's a whole other thing. Like, yeah, there, there's just like, yeah. So like the, to, to kind of like close out this section, like what would you, so like having, so like having done all this work with all these people and kind of looking at, looking at small bills as this, as this like, um, I guess for lack of a better word, like watershed moment for you as a producer, like, like, where would you say that, like, where do you, where would you say that you are now in terms of like the way you approach making music and kind of like doing it as an experience in the way that you were getting from like your John Williams scores as a kid, like, like how much closer yeah. do you think you are to that? Closer than ever before, yeah. In like twenty one twenty one was made the same time as Don't Play It Straight. Like, there's no, there's other than mixing the projects, there's nothing really sequential about them. Like, they were just made at the same time, or or kind of interspersed a little bit. Um. Yeah, I mean, I have. Let's just be honest. Like, I have dreams of scoring films and producing records that grow with every project I do. And I think talking about it right now, you know, it's saying it out loud over the last hour and a half with you. It feels good to acknowledge the sense of like, I think I've always thought about stuff like movies because I want to work score stuff or I, I, I think there's a lot that can be done with my sound. If it's, hip hop records forever. That's the, that's the best case scenario. But, um, you know, I have some ambition to use the sound kind of world I've come up with for film, for visual stuff. And, and, and I think that'll come out even just some of the shit I got coming out in the next month or two, you know, just, just the like side project kind of stuff. Right. Like that's, that's where I'm going. And like in the watershed moment, I think it just gave me the confidence, like, that like the ideas I have out here in my art space can resonate with people far away. You know, if I, if I put my, if I just trust my instincts and stuff, right? And, and like just having someone like, 
and who knows where Lucid's going, you know, I mean, this podcast is coming out after, you know, he's got the alchemist thing, which is always, you know, which is cool. It's like, it's just amazing. Uh, you're hearing about things that are going on in your collaborators, right? And you feel like honored that they see so much in you. And uh, that was one of those things where I'm always confident about my sound, but the more people who explore it with me, the more it gives me confidence to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where this is going. And this, I love building all these ships with these people, man. When we sit here and talk about it, like this is my life's work and I, it's always been about collaboration for me. Um, and that came from like loving films and shit like that and being like, man, it's all about, tons of people coming together and what happens when all of us kind of put our mind and our energy towards like one thing, you know? So it's cool that it gets to play out as part of my life still, you know, like as part of my career, I don't want to say career because I don't ever think of it that way. Like my life's passion, you know, is definitely rooted in like watching movies and shit like that. Being like, all right, here comes like everybody get quiet. Like they really worked hard on this thing, you know, show your respect or something or a concert or like anything like that. You know, I love that feeling. Given showing artists like the love they deserve when they've put their time into something. And, and film is a way I think a lot of people are introduced to that idea. You see credits, you know, Oh shit. Credits. Like that's, that's a weird thing as a kid. Like they're boring, but you're like, Whoa, you instantly know a lot of people worked on it. Yeah. And that's impressive. Yeah, like perspective really is everything when it comes to that type of stuff. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and like, and yeah, like before, um, um, before we go, I wanted to, um, I wanted to touch on, um, I wanted to touch on a little bit of just like, I wanted to touch on a little bit of like film news, like super fast, because like, I've oh been- yeah, I did, I like that idea. That's a good time. Let, let me hear what you're thinking about. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was just so, so, um. So by the time this podcast comes out, the Justice League Snyder Cut will already be out. But like, mm-hmm. but like leading up, but but like, th- just there's just been this, uh, there's just been such a lead up to everything that's been going on because like, of course, like the story is that like Zack Snyder lost or he didn't lose it, but like the but like he wound up leaving because of what happened with his daughter, which is like horrifyingly sad, and he's getting this chance to redo this movie. And like there's and, and 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 like I was reading um Ray Fisher's continued stories about all the bullshit that he went through on set with like every everybody just being crazy racist and just like uh Joss Whedon harassing people and just like seeing all the seeing how many different hands were involved with the with the Justice League movie. Like I was just wondering if you've been following this story at all and if you had even like seen the original movie and if you have any like if you have any like expectations for the Snyder cut or if, if you even give a shit, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's certainly an interesting, I can't think of a parallel to it in music, maybe other than some sort of whatever that fucking ACDC record, maybe that never came out or guns and roses or something there, you know, like there's not a lot of precedent for like, things being taken away and like (laughs) sort of manipulated then being publicly having the stage that something does like a, a a comic book movie. It's a really weird historical art event, you know, it's, and, and, and I certainly, I guess when I think of it from the angle of him as the director and what 
I don't know a ton about what he went through, but I know, I know the basics of the story. It's like, I guess I feel good for him that there's an opportunity because how weird would it be to get that far into a piece of art then and not just wait for you to finish it, just have it move on. Like, yeah, cause like, that doesn't, like does that happen? I mean, that, I guess that only happens when people die in music. Like, yeah. like do, are there record, like maybe at some mega pop level, like, Justin Timberlake, like we don't hear about it for the last three months of his record. Like, you know, they're like, fuck this guy. We're finishing him without him. Like, yeah. but that's a weird, you know, I, I feel like that's definitely an I hope that he has some satisfaction, I guess, for it. Just as a I don't know a lot about Zack Snyder, but that sounds weird to yeah, go like, through. Yeah, yeah, like the, the like the only music compare like the only music parallel I can think of, and, and it's even and like even this one isn't a hundred percent like I think about what happened with like Mac Miller and Pop Smoke because like the both of them were like in the process of yeah. projects and then they died and then John Bryan came and did Circles and uh, Fifty Cent and the rest of the team kind of came together to put uh, Shoot for the Stars, Aim to the uh, Aim for the Moon together and like but like even that's not a hundred percent what it happens, only happens like, if people die in music, yeah. which is so different. Like if someone's yeah. dead, like sadly it becomes a tornado of things that could happen. But like it's just funny that he was just like dealing with tragedy and this like whole corporate system's like nah man you go deal with that and we're gonna just totally take this and <laughs> take it some right and and but, like yeah um uh, sorry did you have something else you wanted to say no 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 okay um did um did you see did you see the original justice league i didn't even see i i dropped off at uh did he he directed batman for superman right yeah <laughs> i'm sadly didn't make it after that man i couldn't put in the hours especially when you heard about the news that it's just this kind of it's hard to go see any movie when you hear it's like because that's actually weirdly now i think it's common in movies that you're like oh here's this movie that the people who started it had nothing to do with the thing we're presenting to you yeah man i get i don't go for a lot of those i get that and and like and and like just off like the general quality of them like 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 donna justice to me it's not a good movie like a lot like i feel so bad saying it but like a lot of those dc movies are just they're just not good movies like and, and it makes me sad because like you think of like for me like i think about like justice league like the justice league as like an organization kind of predates the avengers by a lot of years so you would have thought that they would have gotten it right and like had it and like just 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 to have this like to not only have it be a bad movie but to have it be this like legendarily like spliced together from like three different creative minds and like have it effectively take like like not even just like passed off but like taken away from the original director to see him come back and do this again like there's just like i think that's what makes the snyder cut so interesting as like an artifact and like a, a pop cultural phenomenon because like everyone has a basic understanding of like what bro went through like his is his daughter killed herself it's really really horrifyingly sad and like he's just getting the chance to do this because um, I mean, a it's mainly happening because WB wanted to play into the meme shit, which kind right. of, considering the backstory, it kind of sucks. So that's the reason they decided to do it. But like, it's um, it's like vindicating to see him kind of come back and get to do his thing the way he wants to do it. I know, I know. <laughs> the the 
that part might be beautiful. The movie stopping you is like for what though? You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. Like it's yeah, what a weird situation. And then the whole th- there's a lot to like unpack with just like what do we let you know weird swarms of like Twitter fans do to dictate actual like art making processes and decisions and is really like weird and shit with this one. Yeah. It's just setting a lot of strange precedents and I want to see if the, the movies, I don't think it's going to be worth it. It's four hours long and four hours. It's four hours long. They like, they like did a whole bunch of reshoots. It's, 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 because they were originally going to release it as like an episodic thing where like each part was going to be cut into hour long chunks, but they're deciding now to just release the whole thing as one four hour movie. Is it coming out on HBO or something? HBO Max. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is like the, hey. this, this is like the tent I, they've been building the whole thing around. Like, well, I think I got to see both of them. I think there's something to learn. Like, okay. You know what it reminds me of? Um, and it never was finished, but that, uh, did you ever see that documentary about, uh, Jodorowsky's dream? I, I, I'm butchering the, that guy's last name. The uh, Dune movie? It, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm a huge fan of Dune and, you know, obviously he directed Holy Mountain, which we were talking about earlier, but, uh, that was kind of this unfinished tale, but, uh. I, I think there's something, I'll be curious to see, like, how do what a weird thing, you know? It's like almost like a remix or something. But the the guy who made it up didn't do the original or some shit. Right? Yeah. It was that was another really weird one that like I don't even like because 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 like I don't even know what else to add to that. Like that's a whole that's like 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 Jodorowsky's Dune. I I, I want to say Dune. Jodorowsky's Dune is basically like its own genre of movie at this point. Like there's nothing. Yeah. Like, like nothing like that happened before, and nothing like that will ever happen again. Like, yeah, that that one's unique, and it's like, it's like, it's like if the Snyder cut didn't get made, but people loved it, right? Like, it's like he didn't even he, he like sketched it out, and I mean, he's an iconic person, and that's an iconic book, so I understand. But that's similar. Like, Jack Zack Snyder is iconic, and to certain people, and yeah. obviously, he's working with iconic source material there, so. Man, I don't know. Four hours? Four hours, bro. <laughs> Four oh, hours. Wow. Yeah, I I'm just a... don't know when I'm gonna have this. I mean, I'll maybe have to cut it in my own episodes. Right. Yeah. No, I feel it. I'm 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 not watching that whole thing in four hours. I'm sorry. It's not happening, bro. Oh man, this is in Ben Affleck. All right. Yeah. The Ben Affleck. What do you think of the Ben Affleck Batman? I, Where do I, you rate I, it? Like, I think he's fine. He like to me, he to me, he was always one of the better parts of this whole thing. Like I liked yeah, him me more, too. I liked him more than I liked Henry Cavill as Superman, and I like him just a bit more than I like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. So like, but but like in like the pantheon of Batman, I would say like, hmm, because because we got to think about it. Because there's George Clooney, <laughs> there's Michael Keaton, there's Christian Bale, there's Adam West, and uh, is that it? I think that's it. Um, so. 
my personal this is going to be controversial my personal favorite is adam west i love adam west batman yeah yeah i love adam west batman too that's a big i have a lot of fond memories of that show and yeah like, that's a fine choice i actually think that's that's maybe the most correct that's maybe the best the safest choice in this day and age like i don't know how well the christian bale movies age if you really go watch them as ex- as moments as they were like i think that jack nicholson one's pretty dope with the prince music like it's still okay. iconic but i i watched the second one and <sighs> doesn't it sounds good like batman returns my memory had it all way better than it was there's great parts but it, it fell off a little that's the consensus yeah that like yeah it's, you know, like, there's a lot because like because like you take that to like the christian bale movies like i watched batman begins again does not hold up 15 years later it's, i i haven't seen it but i would i would bet that's what i'm saying it's cool you've watched it again i haven't watched it again but my wife and i tried to watch dark knight maybe three or four years ago in the plot holes in it you can't not see them even if you're casually watching maybe just on a given night it's kind of just like man wasn't he just on the roof like are there these parts of that movie where it just felt like this procedural cop movie in a certain way that was exhausting here i i I get that yeah because like they definitely tried to split the difference between like having it be like a cop movie and like having it be a Batman movie. And I personally think it works more than it doesn't, but there's definitely, yeah. there, but like there's definitely holes and there's definitely like things that you can look at and be like, mm, that doesn't fully work. Like to me, it like, I would have to say it's probably still one of the better Batman movies, at least the top three. Totally. But, like, totally. Yeah. Every, phenomenal. there's so many parts of that movie that are phenomenal yeah. that, um, yeah, that's I. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's definitely. I, I it's Ben Affleck certainly better than those like the um, Val Kilmer Clooney one. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's yeah, he's definitely better than those. <laughs> he, I think he gets he gets the win over that. So, and he's better than the other people in the at least in Batman versus Superman. The best parts of that movie, I I would just watch the footage of Batman cut together from that movie one more time yeah like maybe like, just like forget the plot let me just like see what it looks like when batman's fight and forget why he's in a dream that may be real or anything is clunky but like the fight it looked dope and he acted well and then and then the one where he's in the warehouse is really cool too like 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 that looked like it came straight out of the batman arkham games i'm a big fan of those or, or at least i oh. was a big fan of those games like so like for me yeah. i was like this is this, this is all i want like this is cool <laughs> I'm yeah, probably. it really looked a lot like the Batman Arkham games, which that was cool. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, man, I don't know. The Snyder Cut will be interesting. You know, it, I, 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 I just have a feeling that the people who demanded it aren't going to be satisfied and that this story's not over. And I, I hope that, like, there can be some sort of completion to it because, but it's going to be really interesting to see, like, this is what you wanted everyone like i mean it's different for Zack snyder but the whole thing of like the people who have hedged their like internet lives on it (laughs) it's like all right i hope it's worth it i mean like yeah like i guess we'll see (laughs) like (laughs) yo man like this like this was awesome thank you so much for taking like nearly two hours 
to talk to me about fucking music and movies like <laughs> yeah dude it's it's fun talking to you man that's that's a good concept and i to unroll and uh i appreciate you kind of bringing those questions out because they're really fun to ponder um just creatively yeah, no doubt well yeah like thank you man like i really yeah like this was this was really cool i appreciate it yeah hell yeah dude hey thanks for listening man shout out to y'all for making it this far shout out to all the black people listening too because y'all really impeccable be sure to like and subscribe and tell a friend to come through next time one <laughs>